Dude, did you check out the Raiders game last weekend? We got a nice win against a division rival. Why? Well, come on. What are you, a Steelers fan? Yeah, actually. Bandwagoner? No, since like back in the day, man. What's back in the day? 1998. You became a Steelers fan in 1998? The bus. Jerome Bettis was <laughs> my guy. Well, I'll tell I you what. I just like him. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I got the Raiders winning the whole chip this year. They're 80 to 1 odds. What is wrong with you? You know that for a fact? Yes. Vegas, Caesars, yeah. 80 to 1. Yeah. MGM, not Caesars, but okay. MGM. So there's a chance, and I have faith. That's terrible. All of the science is against you here. But all you need is faith. I don't think that's true. We should probably talk about that. Okay. So what's more valid, faith or reason? Yes. All right, good. Welcome to Kingdom Thinking, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about faith and reason and two different Christians' approaches to viewing science and interacting with science. Josh, we're going to take this from a historical survey perspective. And one of the big things that became a big marker for Christian attitude towards science was the Enlightenment mm -hmm. and the Renaissance. So what I want to share with you first is this odd time, odd from our perspective, of what's called the pre-critical or a pre-modern period. So, okay, so this is before the Enlightenment? Correct. This means that from, uh, let's say, the first few hundred years, um, common era, up until and through maybe medieval times up until the Enlightenment. Okay. So here's the crazy thing about this time period, right? You didn't have the sciences as fully established fields. We didn't know that the solar system worked around the sun, yeah. right? Like we yeah. thought the... So when I think of this, I tend to think of like 1 AD to like 1500 right. AD. Is that about, Yeah. is that fair? That's fair. Okay. That's fair. So we're gonna call that the pre-modern or the pre-critical period, okay. all right? And all that means is that in the time of society when there were no formal scientific disciplines established, like biology, chemistry, mathematics, astronomy, right? Before you have these sources of knowledge, the church um, and the Christian religion was the authority and the main source of knowledge. But just think about how trippy this yeah, is. Yeah, that's for so a second, weird to right? me. So, like, let's say that you're having issues with your farming technique, right? And you, as somebody who's, you know, survives and makes your living off of crops, let's say you have an issue with this. You don't have like engineering. You don't have crops and, and farming. Hydroponics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have that. What you have is the different establishments in society that are probably run by the church the Christian religion, uh -huh. right? Those are your sources of authority. Let's say you have, a, I don't know, a financial problem. It or, feels so weird to me. It feels like those things don't even compute together. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So super fascinating, but this is the way things were. So in this context, faith in authority mm -hmm. was a big, big orientation. Yeah. It was a big um, gut reaction. It was the attitude adopted by the people. Right now, you can imagine this gets messy yeah, because sure. the question becomes, wait, wait a minute. So then are things like Christian truths, should they be believed because they're true and real or should they be believed because people in power are telling you to believe mm. them? So granted, that gets very messy. Right. Yeah, right. But what happens then is in the period we're going to call the Enlightenment or the Renaissance. Another word for that is modern, the modern period. Okay. 
you have the blossoming and the blooming of different scientific disciplines. So we get astronomers who are making discoveries about the solar system and about the universe. And they discover, hey, the Earth isn't the center of the universe. Yeah, what a weird... <laughs> so news to me, hey, California isn't the center of the universe, yeah, right? Yeah. So that would be good well, news. Well, the jury's still out on that. <laughs> the science isn't settled. So then you get like uh, studies on genetics, right? And, and Mendel, who's going to be one of the big founders yeah. in biology of genetics. You're going to get chemistry, physics, all these fields. Well, physics is a little later. But all these scientific fields and sources of knowledge are going to start becoming established as adequate and um, true fountains of knowledge. So something really peculiar is going to happen because now the authority and the um, exclusivity of truth from religion is going to start to be questioned. Mm. And not only questioned, it's going to be rejected in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It depends on who you're reading in the Enlightenment. But you're going to start to have the separation of faith and reason where People, the attitude that people are going to have is going to be on the one hand, like, yeah, you can continue to believe your religious thoughts and things, but they're not in a category of knowledge or truth. Sure. Um, reason on, is how we get to truth. This is the big war cry of the enlightenment. Yeah. Reason and thinking um, is how we arrive at truth, right? So that project um, and the shift generally towards that we, what, what would you say? Maybe, I don't know, mid-1900s is sure. when that starts shifting. Maybe 1960s, 1970s. You're going to start to see an attitude shift in thinkers where they're realizing, well, wait a minute. If reason is the way we get to truth, then how do we make sense of people coming to different conclusions? Yeah. So the same observers of history or the same observers of philosophy, yeah. or even the same observers of different sciences, maybe like behavioral sciences or things like that, they're coming to different conclusions. Right. So right. now you have to explain how the interaction of the observer or the learner in the data is actually going to filter and shape and color the conclusions you arrive at. Let, let me make this a little more, more blunt, right? Do you think that the way I see the world as a Hispanic male in Southern California is different than, I don't know, a middle-aged woman in Nigeria. Probably. Probably, sure. right? Because there's all sorts of contexts, uh, gender, right? Race, um, environment, yep. setting. All these contexts shape the way we see the world. And so this period that's called postmodern, all that means is the period after the Enlightenment is going to try to have some checks and balances, if you will, on the optimism or the objectivity of how yeah. we understand truth. Mm -hmm. um, so as all this conversation is happening, Christians have generally taken two attitudes towards relating to science. Okay, so before we get into that, so the recap is like when Christianity is first starting and the, and the hard and soft sciences haven't quite fully started developing yet, mm -hmm. Christianity is the authority Correct. in the West. It's faith and reason. Yeah, and, and it's just kind of all subsumed in the Christian bubble. Granted in the West, yes. Yeah, and then the Enlightenment happens, and you start to see a separation between church and state, or right, like thinking and Correct. critical thinking and church and stuff. Correct. And people try and maybe leave some of that church behind. Correct, and they're going to say the church stuff is religion is the... Um, the task of faith, uh -huh. but the task of reason is mm -hmm. going to be the sciences. Okay, and it's then in be... like the mid-20th-ish century, we kind of see this rise of postmodernism as a way to kind of check modernism in all of its trappings. Correct, And so now we have three different 
time periods with three different sets of problems, all trying to find the same answer of like, what's the best way to do faith and reason and critical thinking? Correct. Okay. Correct. Now, what we want to talk about today is how in 2020, Christians in our context are in, um, they've inherited, so they're heirs to one of these two attitudes being either the enlightenment attitude of the language for truth is reason and science or what's called empiricism, uh -huh. which is just a fancy word for observation that you can prove sure. tangible. Okay. And if that's the language or if those are the rules for knowing something, then Christianity should be knowable through those parameters. Sure. So some of us are heirs of that attitude, right? Um, there's different kinds of Christian denominations that are heirs of a different attitude, uh, which is going to be more of, hey, there's limitations to how much you can actually know objectively and in a neutral fashion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so although science and religion are answering different questions, they both have virtues and limitations that should be taken into account. Mm -hmm. So let's jump in. Sure. I want to talk about these and hopefully our examples are going to make it a little more clear for our yeah. audience. Yeah, for sure. What are the, the virtues and the limitations of each attitude of Christianity towards science? So jump in. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Talk to me about faith and reason, uh, basically in the Enlightenment. And what, what does that Christian attitude look like? Sure. So the idea here that we see is that faith and reason explain separate separate spheres. So our goal shouldn't necessarily be to get them to coexist. To okay. and, and even maybe so far as to go to say that they don't coexist or they okay. cannot coexist. So they exclude right? each other. Yeah. And, and reason is the valid metric for ascertaining truth. And so this is kind of an interesting thought here because this is where you first see in history, in, in Western history, that there's a real split from the idea of church and its governing role in all of life. Correct. And this is really what we see kind of like plants the seeds for deism, which ultimately leads to, you know, agnosticism or atheism. Uh, because yeah. before this, to question if God existed would be a very ridiculous question, right. right? Like it wouldn't even be in somebody's purview, likely, or most exactly. likely, right? Exactly. And, and so people begin to question the authority on the basis of reason, wanting to ask questions and know answers that are tangible and separate from Correct. authority. And and this is important because it allows people to begin to think for themselves. Correct. And there aren't necessarily, the church doesn't have to be the gatekeeper mm -hmm. on faith and reason and thinking, right? And it's kind of a way to rise up and take uh, power to the people, right? Mm -hmm. As it were, a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, to borrow a an excellent phrase. And so uh, people begin to flourish, right, in, in this idea because there's a transition in authority, in, in, in authority from church to a little bit more of a decentralized viewpoint. And so more people have access to it. Okay. And so... So what does this mean for Christians today? Yeah, this either leaves Christians out of the conversation mm -hmm. in entirety, mm -hmm. or it forces them to enter into the conversation on the terms of the empiricism. Correct. And, and so this is big because if that's the case, then the attitude for trying to defend Christianity and evaluate science on the basis of science is one that is popular among Christians, but can be difficult to do because the modernity that has produced scientific answers are not things that are necessarily available in biblical writing times there. And so there's a different conversation that has to be had there. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're pointing to the limitations of this attitude. So in other words, the example that I think of is usually when I think of apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, mm -hmm. right? So giving reason or defensible answers for questions about Christianity, mm -hmm. whether that would be uh, the authority or the truthfulness of the Bible itself, 
whether that would be, does God even exist? Yeah. So philosophical questions, or whether it would be historical questions about the person and of Jesus and the resurrection, things like that, right? So in this attitude towards science, the Christian would be oriented, or I don't know if tempted is the right word. The, yeah. Christ, the Christian is inclined yeah. to answer the questions, whether that would be of the historicity of Jesus or the resurrection, the truthfulness or reliability of the Bible, and or philosophical inquiry about the world. Right. Like, is it actually reasonable to think that all of this came from God, right? So the inclination is, I'm going to answer that question using the parameters of science. Now, that's fascinating because on the one hand, we're like, well, yeah, duh. Like, doesn't yeah, that make sense, that. Sure. right? If somebody is asking you a question, let's say particularly somebody who doesn't share your worldview and they're going to assume, hey, this is how we know things. Yeah, Like yeah. medicine and biology and chemistry, like this is how we progress yeah, as Repeatable humans. phenomenon. Exactly. Yeah. So the fact that we can observe something and that actually leads to flourishing like science has, mm -hmm. That should be an acceptable authority. And so the Christian inclination is an interesting one because it seems to give credence and recognize that the validity of that, mm -hmm. right? And so then the, the inclination to answer questions, again, about the resurrection or the truthfulness of, of the Bible using scientific parameters, like it makes sense to me why people would want to do that. Yeah, of course. And say like, all right, fine, let, let's talk about the New Testament. And so we got to talk about the historical location and we got to, you know, all, all this kind yeah. of stuff, right? Um, however, there are limitations to that. Naturally. What are some of those limitations? Oh, I don't know how you prove that a Jewish guy from 2,000 years ago came back from the dead. Well, carbon dating, obviously. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's a hard conversation to start out with, right? Uh, and, and so things like that. Now, there's other ways to answer those questions, right? right? But strictly using a form of empiricism, exactly. you're going to run into some issues there. Th that's right. And, and so we could just, I mean, you could just stop there, right? Because that's really the crux of the totality that's of everything that that's we fair, do. That's fair, right? So. Like, yeah, yeah. So the resurrection would be pretty, pretty central. Yeah. Um, so even in philosophical inquiry, right? So debates about cosmology sure. and the beginnings of the universe as we know it and how that relates to... Um, quantum physics mm -hmm. and the expansion of the earth, is it more reasonable to think that everything that we have came out of um, one initial cause mm -hmm. that was personal, ultimate reality, God, right? Or a cause that was impersonal. Mm -hmm. Even this debates, it's interesting to me, well, where philosophy isn't uh, an empirical science, right? Uh, but it Different philosophical inquiry can assume different rules for what counts as logic yeah. or what counts as um, uh, a valid assertion. So the limitations are real because even the empiricist, meaning the person who only wants to use the parameters of observation, like language isn't empirical. Logic Not isn't empirical, all. right? So you have to use the faculties that you can't test and observe, such as language yeah. and logic. Yeah to be able to even put some of these ideas together. So the, the, I think what I'm getting at is that it seems adequate, right, to allow science its authority in its realm, but it doesn't seem adequate or it doesn't seem sufficient to want to answer the claims of the inspiration of the Bible, right? Like how would you prove the inspiration of the Bible using scientific parameters? Like what would be enough? Right, right. You can't. And, and, and so here's really where it, where it is. Empiricism can get you to the edge, right? Mm -hmm. But in questions of the metaphysical, empirical stuff can't get you over that hump, right? Okay. And so the cosmology argument is probably one of my favorite arguments 
for the likely existence of a divine creator, right? Like the exact specificity with which everything in the universe is created is for me highly convincing that it's not accidental, right? But I don't have anything other than the highly specific nature of the Earth's placement in the universe in relation to the sun, right? In this Goldilocks zone for life. And so as a result of that, I can look at that and say, and draw implications from, but I can't necessarily implicitly put them into, right? And the empiricist conversation with Christianity has to kind of be faithfully, if it's going to be done faithfully, has yeah. to always be done in done that honesty. Yeah. In, in that way is you have to pull out of not bring into, yeah. and that's going to inherently bring limitations to it yes. because you're the one bringing it into. Correct. And you have your specific, you know, yes. sit in Laban or your seat in life. As yes. It were. All right. So let me drop this bomb on you. Here's where the rubber is actually going to meet the road. Here are things that Christians with this disposition towards science really care about. Okay. You ready? Number one, old earth versus new earth. As you know, in Christian circles, there is a debate Huge. whether the creation account and the creation of the world should be seen literally in Genesis as seven days of 24 literal hours. Are you old earth or new earth? Let us know in the comments below. And so what ends up happening is you can somewhat trace back the age of the earth using genealogies and, and things like that all the way from the time of the New Testament back And so people date the new earth, right, quote unquote, uh, about 7,000 years, something like that. So that's new earth, right? This stands in contrast to what's called old earth, which is based on different scientific uh, inquiry or different scientific assertion that is going to say, well, no, probably the earth is closer to maybe billions of years is is a number that I've heard there. 4.4 billion. From different people, right? Okay, cool. So if you really care about this, well, this shows that your attitude towards science is is the former, right? Yeah. It's it's this enlightenment uh, presupposition of we can know things and we know that it's on valid ground if we can have a scientific conversation mm-hmm. about it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a one thing that people would really care about. The other one is inerrancy, right? So. In short, for our audience, inerrancy is the evangelical conviction um, that the the scriptures are uh, perfect. They are without error, right? And so there's different versions of this. There's a guy named Carl Henry who kind of started um, this kind of category for evangelicals. And so what's really interesting to me is that defending or doing an apologetic for something like inerrancy in these Christian circles ends up being something of a scientific task where now you're talking about well the original autographs and you're talking about percentages of words from the new testament that you could know with certainty based on the 200,000 variants and all these things which is fascinating to me personally but all i'm saying is that if you care about these things what you're seeing in effect is hey you care about these things because of your attitude towards science so you're, whether you know it or not, you're playing by the Enlightenment rules. Always, yep. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think these things are important to discuss okay. because if we believe all truth comes from God, mm-hmm. then the reality is that there's going to be you know pockets and gradations of truth that we can discover using the empiric, empirical method. Uh, I'm just hesitant to put the 
majority of my eggs in this basket. Okay. Uh, largely because of what I understand about scripture and how I read it and things of that variety. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Good. Good. So all we wanted to point out is, hey, like, there's nothing wrong if this yeah. is where you're at. No, absolutely just, not. Just know that you've inherited yeah. a whole system of thought that comes from enlightenment thinking, which wants to place more weight on the foot of scientific reasoning. And it just seems like that's a very limiting thing. It's mm-hmm. like tying one hand behind your back um, while fencing or something. Yeah. Even though that's that is how you do fencing right but i but, understand what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um and so you know just food for thought there yeah now the second attitude is what we're gonna call a post-modern attitude now let, let me just say this real quick bum, right bum, bum, po- sinner. post-modern <laughs> is like a curse word in yeah. church dude isn't that crazy yeah so it's annoying all post-modern means in in terms of a system of thought is a way of thinking that has gone beyond enlightenment correct okay so to simplify it all postmodern means for our purposes in this discussion is an inquiry of truth that recognizes the location of the observer and says, hey, there are limitations to how much and how um, well you can know any given thing because of your social, cultural, mm-hmm. whatever lens. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So here's how there are implications for that in how Christian and the the Christian religion would interact with science. First of all, the system of thought is a checks and balance on empiricism. It's saying, hey, scientist, observer, historian, philosopher, just so you know, you may think that what you're doing is 100% objective, meaning I'm just stating the facts and I'm not involved in those facts. But actually, think of history, for example, right? it's impossible to be 100% objective. Yeah. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's just a reality. Yep. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that you could pick up two very different American history books and they're gonna tell you a very different mm-hmm. story. Why? Because history isn't just a, an arbitrary spewing of facts. History is the intentional organization of facts to tell you the significance and the meaning of events. Yeah. That's a story. Right. It's the difference between data and data with context. Exactly. So it inevitably involves perspective. Yep. It inevitably involves biases. Mm-hmm. It inevitably involves interest. Mm-hmm. There's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that this way of thinking, what's called right postmodernism, is saying, hey, we just want you to have checks and balances and how optimistic you are right. about what you know. So this is fascinating because the Christian attitude towards science then becomes one of not willing to put all of the weight of thinking on the scientific parameters Correct. and saying, hey, those are good, but we're trying to answer different questions. Mm-hmm. And so here's where the rubber meets the road. You ready? Um, scholar, Old Testament uh, scholar, John Walton, teaches at Wheaton, has a really interesting book. It's called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And in this book, and he's an evangelical. He's not some like liberal or or like (laughs) atheist or whatever. He's an evangelical, right? So this is a conservative for conservative Christians. Liberal to atheist. Those are automatic (laughs) inflations. I'm just saying. Sure. You know, I've told you in my circles, these are all curse words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So John Walton essentially is saying, look, you're making me blush. Yeah, a little bit. He's saying in this book, hey, listen, if you want to ask the science question of when was the earth created, what were the material origins, like you can. I'm just not convinced Genesis is trying to answer that question. Sure. So now you have a a category of genre. 
now you have a category of form of the way that truth is being communicated. Mm -hmm. And so the way that Christianity then approaches science is going to be with a little bit more of um, of deference, um, a staying in respective lanes, if you will, sure. right? Where there's a level of integration where they inform each other, but we're not going to pretend that the creation account is trying to be a scientific account. Right. Um, Alan Plantinga mm -hmm. is a, a, a reformed or a, a Christian thinker who insists that defense of the faith or apologetics should be done with what's called presuppositional. Now, what that means is if let's say that I'm going to have a conversation with you for the sake of this argument, let's say you're an atheist, okay. right? And you so insist, I'm <laughs> yeah, got it. you insist that we can only use the faculties of science and reason or logic to answer the question of, is it more probable that God exists or more probable that God doesn't exist, right? So the attitude of somebody like Alan Plantinga, this thinker would say like, hey, you can use that, but I'm not gonna take on that burden of proof right? because rather than the task of empirically proving God to you, my task is to say, hey, in the Christian worldview, more questions are satisfactorily answered about life and the world and how things are. And so if, if you find that view dissatisfactory, not only do you have to um, debunk it, but you have to yeah, show me a more satisfactory. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's there's something attractive about that, I think, in the sense that you don't have to feel like you're in a castle in a moat fighting somebody with a stick and that you have to fight them with a stick, mm -hmm. right? Now, again, yes, I, I'm a Christian, so I'm assuming, I'm biased. I'm yeah. not going to pretend that I'm not. I'm just saying Christians should... Um, put their weight on scripture, on the things that scripture puts its weight on, yeah. right? And so, uh, yes, I'm making a value judgment about my personal approach to this, but if my authority for scripture is based on something like history or science, I would say that that's the wrong place to put your weight in, right? Yeah, I mean, because it's only going to be useful to you so far as it's useful to exactly. you, right? Exactly. Anyth and anything beyond that, it's going to trip you up. Correct. Correct. So, what what do you think are some of the benefits and limitations of this view? So postmodernism has a uh, potential to do what's called like reductio ad absurdum, right? So how do you know? Well, how do you know that you know? Well, how do you know that you know that you know? And so on and so forth until you're dead. And so the idea with that can get a little bit reductive in its issues. Uh, and so that is a big limitation. And then it also puts us in a position to where one never has to choose or land anywhere. And so you can continue to withhold uh, dialogue because mm. you can keep this amorphous blog going, True. blob going in the conversation. So you always look like you're right. So uh, arrogance, haughtiness, pride, like those things tend to be associated with this if we're not careful, right? Mm -hmm. We get too stuck in the reduction because you can always ask another question, right? Correct. And so, uh, but when this is done well, what I think it does is it allows the conversation to be more deferential, which is huge because humility is always going to be key mm -hmm. for moving these conversations forward. But what it also does is it allows the Christian to be able to enter into the world of empiricism, but not uh, set up camp there, mm -hmm. but not buy a home there. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference mm -hmm. because it allows us to be able to move back into what we're trying to attempt to answer. Mm -hmm. Got, got, got it. That's, that's really helpful. And so some of the people that I find really helpful in this conversation are Kevin Van Hooser, theologian, um, who's spent a lot of time talking about some of these issues, and somebody you've heard of, N.T. Wright, yeah. one of the world's leading Love that scholars guy. in New Testament. So what do you guys think? What attitude do you take towards science if you come from a background of faith? Is it more of the scientific empirical perspective of what's called modernity or the Enlightenment, or is it more of a 
postmodern, not curse word, right? You don't have to bleep that out. (laughs) Perspective. (laughs) Leave us a comment. What do you think? What are we missing? Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Thinking. We'll see you next time.